Mate, this is going to be awesome. It's not stayed to come down for that one. Hit him, hit him. It's more than just a hobby, it's who we are. Cracker. That's why we hunt. Welcome to the Educated Hunter Podcast. This episode of The Educated Hunter is brought to you by Ultimate OE. If you're a keen hunter and outdoorsman and you're thinking about heading over to do your overseas experience in the near future or you think it's high time you did one, then you should really consider doing one of our hunting experiences. These days we offer hunting experiences in both Canada and Scotland, which are designed for hunters by hunters. We look after all of the paperwork side of things, help you out with your visa, make sure you're covered legally, all that kind of stuff, make sure that's streamlined. And we also teach you everything you need to know before you leave New Zealand. This allows you to hit the ground running when you get to the country, so both Canada and Scotland, different trainings for different places. It's industry specific, so we teach you what you need to know or what your employers want you to know before you get there. This allows us to secure the best possible jobs, so we have access to the best jobs in both Scotland and Canada, and they're all paid jobs and we work with only the best outfitters. So if you want a little bit more out of your OE, you want to go over there, have a real adventure, do something really unique, and expand your mind and experience as a hunter, see how the rest of the world does it, or at least how they do it in Scotland and Canada, uh, this is a great stepping stone. So if you're interested, flick us an email at ultimateoemail at gmail.com, or check out our website, ultimateoe.co.nz for more details. Hello and welcome to the Educated Hunter podcast. Today I have a conversation with a good friend of mine by the name of Nate Flynn. We met a few years ago now at Branlin Shockey's wedding. I was the best man and Nate is the brother of the bride, so is now Branlin's brother-in-law. Um, it was one of those situations where Ashley, Branlin's wife, said to me, you're going to get on really well with Nate, um, you guys have a lot in common, I sort of always take those statements with a with a grain of salt, you never quite know, but in this case it turned out to be absolutely true, um, from the moment we met each other in Turks and Caicos, which was where the wedding was being held, we basically fished every day together, Turks and Caicos is one of the top destinations uh, for saltwater fly fishing, um, catching bonefish out on on big sandy, I guess you'd call them sandbars that are just under the water, miles and miles offshore and the bonefish come up to feed at low tide and you can sight fish them and catch them on a fly rod which is a lot of good fun but that's that's a conversation and a story for another day. So that's where I met Nate, he is a not only a passionate fisherman but a passionate hunter and outdoorsman. Um, Nate has been a member of the Heartland Bowhunter crew for about 10 years the Heartland Bowhunter guys produce a, a very high quality TV show which is focused around sort of um, bow hunting in North America, um, primarily for, for deer. They produce some really high quality cinematic good content. I suggest checking it out. It's um, certainly worth a watch. So Nate has been involved with them for a number of years, both on camera and filming. So he has a huge amount of experience bow hunting with bow and arrows and getting it on camera so that in itself is a challenge and we talk about that a little bit during the course of this conversation 
We also cover a number of other things, uh, turkey hunting for one and what the big fuss about that is. Uh, we talk about what Nate does for a living and then we talk about game management and deer management specifically and, and how that looks from his perspective where he grew up in Missouri. So really enjoyed this conversation. It's so nice to get a completely different perspective from someone who grew up in an entirely different hunting environment that I did. Follow him on Instagram. He is at Nate T. Flynn. So that is spelt at N-A-T-E-T-F-L-Y-N-N. So at Nate T. Flynn. Follow him on Instagram. You can soon see pretty quickly he's a passionate outdoorsman. So without further ado, here is Nate Flynn. Thanks for thanks for coming up. I've dragged Nate up from, I guess, your nephew's first birthday party. That's right. Yep. Number one. Yeah, and I had to sort of schedule his um, schedule this podcast in between fishing trips, <laughs> prawn fishing, salmon fishing, smallmouth fishing, smallmouth yeah. fishing. I still yeah. don't get the smallmouth. Is it smallmouth bass? Smallmouth bass. Yeah. Did you get a few? I got one. <laughs> <laughs> Collectively, as a group, we got a few. Yeah. But I got one. It we, was a tough day for me. We'd had a few beers last night, and Nate was like, "You gotta come. You're missing out. You're missing out." And I was thinking, I don't know how sharp I'm going to be at six a.m. I think I'll just go pull porn traps. Porn traps. It's a little easier on the system. Yeah. At ten instead of at six. Yeah, yeah. yeah. At ten o'clock afterwards, sort of head up, got brunch, and had a nice start today. Oh well. Well, again, cheers for um, agreeing to do this. Of I've, I've met you a couple of times just through Brandon, and I know that you you do a lot of hunting at home and a lot of guiding. So I thought this would be a good opportunity to learn a bit more about what you do in your neck of the woods. Yep. Um, in terms of your sort of upbringing, were you always hunting? Did Chet always have you on the ground hunting? Or is it something that you sort of he, fell into? He did. Um, he never was as passionate, still isn't, as I am. I think it's something. Uh, that I've learned, it seems anyway, that you're born with it. Really, you really think that you're born with this um, knack for it or, or desire to be out there. Um, for instance, my brother has never harvested a single animal. Yeah. Hardly even been in the field hunting. Been a few times turkey hunting when the weather's nice and, you know, springtime. Yeah. But never once, to my knowledge, has sat in a deer stand or done anything like that. So, wow. Um, he does like to fish, sort of, but more just be out there on the boat more than catch fish which you probably saw in the last few yeah, days yeah. doesn't care so no much. i had him had him in the uh hauling prawn traps today he yeah picked it up pretty good yeah he's into it yeah <laughs> well that part too and they taste yeah. so good who doesn't yeah, like yeah. that who doesn't so. like that okay so that's interesting so you didn't do because i had this I, I guess a slightly opposite my old man has always been a hunter always was a hunter mm-hmm. so i never really there was never any real doubt in my mind and i didn't really have to push very hard to have hunting opportunities because he was already going a lot so it was pretty easy for me to um, put myself in a position where I got to go hunting yeah on a regular basis when did you really start doing lots of it I mean and I don't want to make it sound like he didn't hunt and he doesn't hunt he still does hunt he Mm -hmm. still does like it but it wasn't like his first like how you and I think about every day yeah he's never been on that that level but he does love it and he likes to go and he he really loves spring turkey season um and he does archery deer hunt quite a bit, but like as far as like going out west and the things that I've gotten into, he has no, I mean, maybe he has a little bit of interest, but he doesn't follow up on that interest. So, yeah, um, I started hunting when I was probably, I think I shot my first deer with my bow when I was 12. Um, wow. It's pretty young. Whitetail. Yeah. 
out of a stand? I was I, I was out of stands, but I wasn't when I killed my first one. So I started hunting um, with my dad. We kind of take me out and we set up stands and do that whole thing. I shot my first one. I was hiding behind a big bale, though, a big hay wow. bale. Yeah. <laughs> Got lucky. Dumb, you know, button buck, six-month-old yeah. deer. <laughs> Walked 20 yards and my, I don't know, I'd missed a few before that, of course. Yeah. Uh, Has it always been archery for you? Always. I've never shot a single animal with a rifle. Oh, never a big game animal with a no rifle. No kidding. Never a big game animal. Squirrels and stuff, rabbits, stuff like that. Wow. Never killed a big game animal with a rifle. Yep. So 12 years old. I, bow hunting has just always had my, it just always, that's what I've been obsessed with. Yep. Oh, cause it's just, it's like people bow hunt in New Zealand. And yep. I mean, I've just picked it up a little bit. Yeah. Um, but we just don't have it to that level. Like guys, I guess it's probably because we have just so much more opportunity. And, you do. Yeah. You know, there's no real reason to extend your season. I, I don't know why it is because you guys who do a lot of hunting eventually these days do pick up a bow. But yeah. very rarely would you find anyone in New Zealand where we come from that has never shot an animal with a rifle and has hunted as much as you have. It's pretty unusual in our world too. That's not common. I don't know of another person that's done that. Is it kind, no. of, a, kind of a point of pride now? Nah, maybe, maybe, but not, it's not, it wasn't, didn't start out that way. I just, I just didn't have that interest really. Yeah. So I just never had, I really wanted to get close and I wanted the whole bow thing. I loved it. So that's awesome. Um, yeah. And, and typical American upbringing, which you probably know, you know, your grandpa takes you out or dad takes you out with a rifle and you're 10 years old and you move. My dad didn't gun hunt. So that's one probably influence that he had upon me. Yeah. He didn't gun hunt. He has, he shot deer with a gun before a long time ago. Yeah. Um, but he right. was bow hunting right from the start too. Yeah. Yeah. That's really, really cool. So mm-hmm. whitetail 12. And I, I want to go back to the tur- spring turkey thing because, mm-hmm. I mean, we talked about this briefly <laughs> the other day. Why Turkey hunting is not big in New Zealand and mm-hmm. it sort of makes us giggle when we talk about it. But yeah. So I do want you to explain turkey hunting and, and, and for the benefit of the audience trying to explain why people in North America are obsessed with it in a lot of cases. Yeah. Um, but. Before we get to that, so what do you do um, in terms of your living? What do you do for a living these days? I do several things. So I'm outfitting in North Dakota and I uh, have a hunting lodge there and it's mainly birds. So we do waterfowl pheasants um, and it's like a combination hunt. So you would goose hunt, duck hunt for, in a field in the morning, dry field, then pheasant hunt middle of the day. And then we, if you don't kill a limit of uh, ducks in the morning, then you go out and shoot ducks in the evening over water. Right. Um, which it depends on, the, you know, it's just always, it's pretty good hunting there. So a lot of times you're not shooting ducks in the water. So it's usually just the two hunts, but a lot of, there's, there's days that some guys will go out and just have one or two ducks left. They just want to go kill the evening on the, on a nice pothole and watch the sunset do that kind of thing. Oh, nice. Um, but we, uh, I do a few archery hunts there for whitetails. Uh, it's a pretty select group. It's kind of a friend group. Um, they come back every year. It's pretty much the same group every year, but yeah. this is year this is crazy. This is year 13, I believe, of outfitting. Wow. Uh, so pretty wild. Uh, I guided for a couple of years before that for another guy in North 13. Dakota. 13. You're the same age as me. When did you start? 20. Let's see, it was 2000. I just turned 34. Yeah. <sighs> Ew. Uh, <laughs> That's good. And, I'm uh, that I, I, we bought the lodge in 2005. Right. Or 2006. So this will be 13 years. Yeah, 2006. Wow. Good for you. So you've got the, it's 21, the birds, like the odd bit of white tail, mm-hmm. and you guide all of that. Mm-hmm. Is it just you guiding or do you have someone else? Nope. With you? Four guides that work for me. Yeah. Yep. 
all over the place. One guy local that lives in Bismarck. Um, one guy from Missouri who's who I duck hunt with the most. One of my best friends, and then uh, some of my other really good friends from Pennsylvania uh, that that come out, and they've been the the core group has been there since year. Joe has been with me since year one, um, and then Stu has pretty much been there since year two. He started out cleaning birds, and then kind of got Going you know he got climbed the ladder and moved up to as a guide, and he's been a great guide for ten years now, whatever it has been. Um, and how long so. is your season like? Do you? Are they a lot of repeat clients? Or? It is a lot of repeat, and we're also we're pretty we we're jammed in there. So we, North Dakota is like, we start into September, and we're usually hunting in like seventies or sixties for highs in the beginning of October into September, and then by the end, the high may be fifteen or twenty degrees, and everything's frozen, and that happens in a five week span. So we usually yeah, the first week of November we're, we're winding so down. So just to translate that for everybody, it starts off and sort of. 22 23 degrees celsius and by the time you're done it's below freezing in five weeks in five weeks and that's not like a it's that's just the normal flow and as yeah. the water start freezing off it does it? yep yep and so that's why we pretty much book stop booking hunts because a lot of times which this year it happened um or your birds will leave you know once you start ducks are relying on that open water and they can only keep it open for so long and if you get snow on top of the food and then ice in the water it's yeah. pretty motivating so to, the ducks will Ducks will actually actively try and keep water open. They will, yeah. They have adapted abilities to like trade off feeding. So they'll usually what happens is the smaller stuff starts freezing, then the bigger stuff, and the bigger stuff starts shrinking to smaller holes. And so pretty much all your birds get concentrated into a few roosts for you know a pretty large area. And so some birds will trade to feed, and some birds will sit in water. I don't know if if they actively think that but it works and so they they, they that's what they do so okay. some birds will go out earlier and some birds will come back and some birds will go out so long as they're swimming in the ice it yeah, it, it stays open you know the hole the open water wow yeah. interesting pretty okay. interesting so it freezes up and they bugger off and then you smash out a couple of white tails because that must be what late november by then first week usually usually start hunting around the 10th or 12th of november yeah, i start yeah. bow hunting for white tails yeah and they'll be yep. rotten and yep and but stupid yep yep awesome and how Bigger the white tail. So we're talking North Dakota. So how big yep. are the white tails in North Dakota? Good deer, really, really, really good deer. Um, there's if age structure is a difficult thing there, uh, not because of hunting pressure, but because of bad winters is the most the right. most motivating factor. Yeah, so we lose some older deer. Um, so if you can get a deer to four years old there, that they're usually pretty solid. Really? Talking, yeah, Interesting. yeah, one forty plus on most of them. Right. Most four year old deer. So if you get a deer a couple of nicer winters, then you could probably get some real giants. Yep. Huh. Yep. The more mild winters we have in a row, the bigger deer and the more deer we have for yeah. sure. Yep. Cool. And and how do you hunt them? Are you um are you hunting them over bait or are you spot and stalking them? Or no, we can hunt them over bait. So for archery hunting in North Dakota, it's wide open. Yeah. It's probably similar to Saskatchewan, not in the bush Saskatchewan, like yeah, like the like prairies, prairies Saskatchewan. Yeah. yeah. And so to get them to move and to funnel into areas is literally impossible without having bait. Right. You just you no just be spinning your wheels yeah so we hunt over bait yep corn piles cool yep awesome so that's that's not a huge season is it that's september through to november and then what do you do it's with pretty your quick yep yep so i sell real estate um I'm a land sales specialist we sell farms for a company called midwest land group yeah right so uh agricultural farms uh yep recreational ideally would be what we'd, we'd all love to specialize in just because we're passionate about hunting um, but we sell tillable and we sell any kind of land really. Okay. Yep. So tell me Pasture. more about the recreational stuff. Do you actually, cause that's a foreign concept 
really in New Zealand is the idea of selling off land for hunting, shooting, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I mean, this is this is a this is something new. This isn't like, I mean, it's always taken place, but the value that has been added to recreational ground ten years ago to now is is incredible. The wow. growth that we are seeing in the states is just ridiculous. Stuff that would have sold four or five hundred bucks an acre, just waste ground. What farmers didn't want yeah. <laughs> is now selling for sometimes way more than tillable ground. Uh, $3,000 an acre is not uncommon. Just for the hunting? Just for the hunting. Purposes. And are they physically buying the land or are they buying a lease? Buying the land. Yep. So leasing is part of that. So um, you used to be able to go down the road and kind of knock on Farmer John's door and say, hey, you care if we hunt? buy you know I'll share my deer with you or whatever I do or I'll buy you some steaks or whatever the case may be you get permission um that's gone by the wayside farmers know they have some value there and so everything that's good is either leased or it's owned by somebody that's hunting that's got to be good for the deer it's very good for the deer yeah Yeah. if you if you watch the deer it's it's incredible what is happening in whitetails um people are starting to get educated whether it's social media whatever it is people know that you age structure is what creates big deer and so a, a lot of people are focusing on letting younger deer pass and uh and trying to hone in on big deer Grow them out. Yeah, older deer and i guess it's a it's a certainly a financial incentive for people to retain some of those forested areas bush areas for deer mm-hmm. look after them and i guess that has a flow down effect too on ducks and and geese and wetland stuff everything not so much on ducks and geese and deer it does somewhat um but I mean, it's good for the whole ecosystem, you know. Yeah. People leaving, it, not only leaving habitat, but improving habitat. It's it's a whole deal, man. There there there's people. The average guy is 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 really turned into a, a deer manager and and managing wildlife really on these small so farms. They must be on top of the real estate stuff, buying you know deer areas for hunting. There must be a whole industry built on learning how to look after them and grow them. There and, is, yep. Yep, but there's a great for free management program called Quality Deer Management uh, Association. It's just like Ducks Unlimited, so you can join and pay your fee or whatever. But it's you don't have to pay to get the information. They send out weekly or maybe it's monthly newsletters and all about management. There's books out there. Everything's online, you know. So what was it called? Sorry, Quality Deer Management. Quality Deer Association. Management. QDMA. I'll, okay, I'll put that in the show yep. notes. I'll put a link to that. It's great. That's interesting. Yep, really good. They they talk about all kinds of age structure and and dole, you know uh, culling does and all sorts of things so it's it's really uh it just creates a healthier herd basically wow, that's yep. really cool there's a lot of science going into it and the average guy it's incredible what the average person is really investing now yeah that's really cool yep and so that that takes up the rest of the year or is that the, is that the, the full yeah i mean i have some other stuff but yeah that for now yeah that's pretty much <laughs> Pretty, pretty busy. Keeps you busy enough. I try to fish in between those events <laughs> as much as well, I can. Well, I know you're a mad keen fisherman. There's no second guessing about that. Yeah, I like to get on the water if I can. Okay, tell me about spring turkeys. I'm a Kiwi. <laughs> I was telling you the other night, our idea of turkey shooting was grabbing by the legs and stuff them in a sack. <laughs> and they're roosting on the old man's gates on the farm because he didn't like them shooting uh, in the gateways. So, and, yeah, I know, and I know enough, and I've been enough, around enough clients and American hunters and lived here long enough to understand that it's not quite that simple over here. But a big portion of the guys listening to this and girls listening to this will probably not um, relate. Not relate. So, sell us on turkey hunting. What makes it so enjoyable? So, to to 
and I haven't ever hunted for red deer, but if I was going to compare that to red deer or wapiti uh, elk, that's what it's like. And so you're, you're calling the animal in. So that's the whole appeal, right? You're calling them in and you're getting them to come to your location, tricking them to come to your location rather than cutting them off. You can cut turkeys off too, which is a great effective way to harvest them, but it's not as fun. Nobody wants to shoot them that way. Right. Um, so so kind of like shooting ducks on the water. Exactly. That's a good, that's, that is, that's a good analogy. Um, it works. You'll get your limit doing that, but that's not what you want to do. Right. So, um, I'll just kind of run you through it. So a typical scenario would be, and we only archery hunt too. Right. Another added element. Turkeys have incredible eyesight. I would put them up there with maybe the best that yeah. we go against any, any game animal. Really, really sharp. So they don't miss movement, which you have to draw your bow. You have to call. You have to do a lot of things. And we're filming all this. So there's yeah. camera movement. There's a lot. So they're, it's a pretty difficult hunt, really. Um, and these the birds in the Midwest get pressure. So they know they're not going to sit on the gate and get thrown in a bag. They're just, they're just not. They're really, you can't get a hundred yards on it. There, yeah. you can't get two hundred yards from them. They're they're pretty on edge Switched birds. On. Yeah. yeah. Um, and everything's after them. You know, they're kind of lower the food chain for us. I mean, coyotes, bobcats, the whole thing, hawks as as babies. Um, so they're so pretty they're, highly they're strong. On. Yeah, I mean, they are. They're super high strung. And turkeys are interesting. Um, Almost all big game animals, I feel like if you get busted, they'll they'll run away and then stop. They give you a second look, especially for a gun hunter. Yeah. They'll give you a second look. What was that? What yeah. spooked me? Turn back over, you know, look back to what caused the danger. Turkeys do not care if they see something wrong. They're gone. They don't stop. Yeah, pretty wow. interesting. Yeah. So, and the whole idea is to call them in. So you would go out. This is our normal day. We would go out the evening before. Yeah. Ideally, you would roost them. If you don't know the farm, especially you're hunting a new area or. or place you haven't hunted much even if you have they roost in different spots so you're waiting for them to go to bed go fly into a tree and go to sleep so yep. you're putting them to bed the night before. yeah so the old saying is roosted is roasted so if you roost them <laughs> you want to get in then you go in the next morning you get up, go to bed get up the next morning in dark plenty early slip in as close as you can without spooking them which they're pretty on edge if you get too close and they hear something down there yeah. it's not normal they'll they'll fly out the other way right uh so you, there's a lot of strategy that goes involved sun at your back, all kinds of things. Um, and so you would set up in the morning, put your decoys out, get back in your blind. And uh, when they fly down, you start calling a little bit. You fly down, they come out, ideally see your decoys strut right in or whatever, come running in. So they're breeding in that time, in the springtime. It's the spring. So that's that's when we hunt them. Yeah, there is a fall season, but it's not what the spring season is. It doesn't have the following. There's, a, there's very few people that participate. There is some. But it's not a big draw. It's just not the excitement. They're not gobbling. They're not coming to calls like that. They're not right. community decoys. So, and when you're shooting them, are you being selective of what you're shooting, or is it adult a, gobblers? Yeah. Adult so gobbler. anything that's an adult is two to older. Right. So once they hit two years old, they're an adult gobbler, and then how do you tell just by the way their plumage is the size? Uh, both. So they have uh, tail feathers. Mm-hmm. Adult gobblers have a full fan, what they call a full fan, and uh, sub adults, juvenile uh, gobblers, will have two or four feathers in the middle that are longer than the rest rest of the fan also beard length so they have beards Mm -hmm. and so the longer the if it's a beard that's longer than like two or three inches then it's an adult right basically they do have weird things like beard rot and stuff that causes them to freeze off kind of or cold weather yeah um so that can kind of throw you off but if they have a full fan then they're an adult gobbler right and you're obviously shooting them with a bow Mm -hmm. so you have full camo on the ground and just a pop-up blind or we don't hunt with pop-ups 
Yeah. Rocks. We hunt out of no blind with bow. It's, it's a very difficult hunt. So it's, it's just very difficult. You're just shifting the goalposts back and back and back. Yeah, we're trying to make it hard. You know, because if you do set up in a pop up and you go hunt, like yeah. it's it can be easy. There's right. no question. If you shotgun hunt, it can be easy. It can still be difficult, but it can be easy easy at times. You know. Yeah. So we we definitely tried to challenge ourselves. And um, what are you shooting them with in terms of a broadhead? Just a normal broadhead? Yep, same broadhead we shoot deer with. Yep, we shoot kill zones, NAP yeah. kill zones. Yep, it's a two-inch cut. They, they actually make a two-and-a-half, so that we, we'll shoot those sometimes with turkeys. Right, and you just um, set them in the boiler room and it roasts them. We, yep, you shoot them in a body. The best shot possible on a gobbler is facing away yeah. uh, and shoot them anywhere in the back, whether they're standing, strutting, whatever, anywhere in the back, and that puts them down. Right. Yeah, so uh, the worst shot in my experience is a broadside shot. I've shot lots that way, and you can do it. But what happens is that there there's such a big no kill zone on a turkey by their breast kind of meat hanging out front. Yeah. The way they strut, there's nothing but feathers, and there's so much to aim at when they're broadside. So it's easy to let that pin kind of slide forward where you think it should be, and it actually needs to be further back. Uh, if you're going to take broadside, the best thing to do is uh, find his legs and come up to his legs where his legs meet his wings, and that's that's where the goods are. Their kill zone is pretty small, so. And if you wound when they go and go and go, you, yeah, you're in trouble. trouble. <laughs> you're in trouble. Yeah. Because yeah. they can go and go and go. I don't know if you pheasant hunted or anything like that before. Not a hell of a lot, to be honest with you. If you shoot a pheasant, they're the same thing and you don't get a good hit on them, man, they can run when they're on the ground. And they're turkey, you think a big bird would not be able to hide. Holy cow, can they hide? They well, trust me, every so often. under the most gnarly brush pile and you cannot see them and you will not believe where they are. Every so often when I get off the gate and try and run away from <laughs> it. So I, no doubt that they're edge off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so that's that would be the ideal turkey hunt. And we also hunt with like a male decoy and a hen decoy most of the time. And so they come in angry at that. It's a sub-adult. It's a Jake, what we call Jake. Yeah. So and they come in angry at that sub-adult. It's, it's they put on oh, quite the show. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Okay. So we, we touched on your, your dad yeah. and, the, and how he sort of got you into it to start with. Yep. Uh, can you think of any other sort of hunting mentors that you've had over the years that have sort of influenced you? Sure. Yep. That yep. way? Yep. So, uh, I mean, my whole family is kind of an outdoors family i would say they were more driven by fishing than hunting um as a whole but my grandpa used to hunt um quail rabbits that kind of thing he never was a big game hunter that i know of at least in my lifetime we never deer hunted anything um i did go rabbit hunting and quail hunting that sort of thing with him um i would have been really young at that point um but yeah my dad was always into turkey hunting we always we never missed a spring doing that Uh, and then once i was about 12 I think I think my interest in it uh, in deer hunting got him back into it. Really. I'm sure it did. Because yeah. when he was younger, he did deer hunt some, but growing up like pre twelve, when I could start hunting, he did, he didn't deer hunt at all. Uh, at least not to my recollection. There's a lot to be said for um, you know that sort of father son, father daughter, mother daughter, mm-hmm. mother son, whatever relationship in terms of getting out into the bush yep. or the woods as you guys call it and, and hunting and spending that time doing it it's a you know it's I certainly look back on it very fondly in my childhood mm-hmm. it was a massive influence of what I did yep and I, I don't know if I would call them mentors but just the people I surrounded myself with obviously I was drawn to other people who like to hunt so you, your friends are kind of become your mentors or who you learn from so yeah. we started hunting with my buddy Travis who I talked about who guides for me and yeah. um, he's an incredible duck and goose caller 
So I learned how to kind of waterfowl hunt through him yeah. uh, and he learned from his dad. So that was kind of a mentorship through that. Um, and then we just, just hunting a lot with our friends, you know, you just learn from each other. Well, that didn't work. Let's next time we'll try this. Or, you remember that didn't work last time. Let's try this. So, yeah. Yep. Oh, that's really, really cool. Okay. So hypothetically speaking, this is a question we ask everybody, but hypothetically speaking, if you don't have to worry about cost, time away from home, availability of tags, like all of that stuff, <laughs> yeah. what would be the one animal that you'd love to, to hunt and why? I'm obsessed with archery, obviously, elk hunting right, uh, right now. That's kind of my thing. Um, Africa doesn't have a lot of appeal to me. Um, I would go and I would do that hunt someday. I just don't understand the animals really, so I don't know, you know if I shot a big cape buffalo i don't know what a big cape buffalo even is so i just haven't put that time into that and learning that um man no cost that's hard not to say one of the sheep i've so we started archery uh we started mule deer hunting high country mule deer this is going to be our fifth year if we draw this will be our fifth year i think um and i used to have zero interest in sheep hunting zero like they couldn't care less and now that I've hunted up high, I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of drawn towards some sheep. So if I had no budget, it would have to probably be a sheep hunt just because simple cost that, you know, that yeah. makes the most sense if you can erase that cost. Yeah, well, Because that's what keeps most people from going sheep hunting is, is the cost for exactly. sure. Exactly. I mean, it's the, you know, it's the, it's the mountain needle once mm-hmm. you get into that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and when you've hunted more and it comes less about killing something and more about that's the, true too. you yep. know, more about the challenge because take it from someone who's tried and failed with a rifle for mountain mule deer for yeah. for season on season back to back i love it but it is a Obsessed hell of a challenge yeah um but you hunt them in the early on don't you yep we're hunting them in, we go in august and we go to utah utah if you have not hunted utah is i never had the holy mecca of mule deer it's incredible it's absolutely incredible and it, it's it's kind of like this maybe won't ring this probably wouldn't ring true to you, but it's like Kansas was for whitetails 10 years ago. Right. It's, it's catching on now and people probably did know about it, but it's getting more press and Utah is, it is incredible. Steep high mountains. Well, I've seen the photos and I've seen some of your stuff, but you get sort of those big grassy basin type yep. things. Yep. Above tree line. Yep. Yep. So we're, we're like the last few years we've been camped around 10,000, 10, 5, and they're not crazy high. They're not, you're not getting like, like Colorado has high mountains, the Utah high mountains. That's those are tall. Ten thousand feet's high enough. Ten thousand is plenty high. It's high enough that you, I can't breathe <laughs> coming <Yeah>. from Missouri. <laughs> so <laughs> it's plenty high. I know when you look down there, it looks like a long ways from up top. But um, that is, you know, it's every year. This is funny because uh, I tell my wife Lauren this every year. It's literally the hardest thing I do every year, by far. Physically, the first time I went, it was the hardest thing I've ever done. Period. Physically, and then every year, it's always the hardest thing I've ever done whether it's the hike in or the pack out or the packing the deer out. Yeah. All of those things are literally every step about halfway up. You're like, why am I doing this? Yeah. And you have to kind of, it's, you have that mental battle literally almost every step. It's yeah. like, this so is I'm doing this for fun. This is yeah. stupid. What am I doing? I don't have to do this. And so it's a, but when you're the top and it happens, it's like, Oh man, that's why you do it. Yeah. So. And I'm the same. We do a similar hunt, but in the winter and it's, it's brutal 
It's, like, it's just so it's like, brutal. why do we sign up for that? And like, the last time I did it, like, I was <laughs> down in this gully in a horrible burn with all this blowdown. There was, like, three feet of snow mm. on the ground. It was 15 below. It was Blow blowing downs. a gale. <laughs> and I was, like, climbing over and under all these logs and just getting my ass kicked. I hadn't seen any deer. <laughs> I was just beating. I was thinking to myself, why in God's name do I do this? And then, you know, an hour later, you get a break in the weather and you look down yeah. and there's a you know, a buck chasing a bunch of does down yeah. in a basin and you know there hasn't been a person up there for a year yeah. to see and it's just so cool. And you forget about all that. Yeah, yeah. and it's one of those, and it, even more so, I mean, the walk out of there even now without a deer was yeah. enough to put me on my ass. Like, I was exhausted. Going like, down is harder than coming up Mentally, sometimes. totally yeah. done. Like, yeah. can't do what I used to be able to do because I spend too much time behind a bloody laptop getting <laughs> soft around the middle. But it's one of those experiences, like, literally the day after we are already planning the trip again. Mm-hmm. And it's you're like, hot. what's going on up there today? I wonder. You yeah, up the next exactly. Morning, what did I miss today? What am I yeah. missing today? What am I missing now? Is yeah. there going to be a big one there yeah. next year? You know, yeah. is he growing it now? And I wonder what the weather's like now. I wonder how he's, you know, ticking yeah. over. So it's it's one of those experiences. Steve Ranella talks about the ones that you know you cheap cheap thrills on a roller coaster. You enjoy it now, and it's over, and it's done, and you but you forget about it. Yeah. Whereas a high quality experience is something that you may not be enjoying so much in the moment, but you look back on with great fondness. I think the cheap thrills has the same kind of things though too, because I've had hunts that go easy. And at the time you're like, well, that was easy. But then you, you reflect back on it and then you appreciate it still. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't, I, I'll still one. take the easy ones. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'll still take the easy ones all day. Yeah. But I, I agree. Uh, it's something that we've become addicted to is yeah. just that hiking up and doing that whole thing. Well, I'll have to come and do a, an early season with you one year. Yeah, anytime. Walking around. Yeah, I'd anytime. love to do that. Yeah. Um, and just a word of warning, if you do get into sheep hunting, it's a very expensive habit. I to, know. Yeah, <laughs> That's why us. I haven't done into that yeah. yet. But um, I need to because, like, I mean, I mentioned earlier, I'm 34. It's it's a young man's game for sure, yeah. I feel like anyway. It is. and But it's all about having ticker too, I yeah. think. I yeah. mean, it depends how and how you want to hunt them. If you want to hunt them with a bow, then yeah. you, you need mm-hmm. to have some invest some time in it and really, really push hard. But yep. it's, you know, you, if you've got the – mentality you can do it it yeah. might take you an extra hour but you can do it yep okay so we'll just leave it as something in the mountains haven't quite decided yet possibly sheep yeah okay so that all said hypothetically speaking if someone put a gun to your head and said okay you can hunt for the rest of your life but you can only hunt one animal in one area what would that be mm. one air one animal one area yeah it's hard um so two years ago uh, 2016, yep. Yeah. So 2016 season, I drew a really good New Mexico elk tag. Right. Um, that would be hard to say no to. I, I really think that was like the best hunt of my life. I didn't harvest an animal. I actually shot a really big one and lost him. Had an, a little bit of an arrow malfunction. Um, at least that's what I'm claiming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but passed tons of really nice bulls screaming in my face. Like the hunt I literally have dreamed of and it had the hunt happen um including the hunt for the big one that i shot screamed in our face at 30 yards like come up just a giant bull um so that would be hard but the problem with that is it's so short-lived so if i have to commit to elk you're only talking a two-week season at the most you know if you have two weeks so i wouldn't say that because i want to spend more time in the field i would have to pick whitetails and probably This is hard for me to say because I haven't killed the deer in Kansas, but Missouri or Kansas or, or Iowa, I haven't even hunted Iowa, but one of those three states. Oh, nice yeah, white you know you've got a chance at a big one. Yeah. yeah. 
That's in, cool. in, in Missouri, you know, we, we start hunting November or September 15th and our last day is January 15th for archery. Right. So we have a huge span of seasons. You get to experience the whole fall basically. Yeah. Uh, and all different elements and you're hunting different phases of the whitetails behavior. So yeah, it's a good variable hunt. That's it cool. is. It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. Yep. Okay. So if you can think off the top of your head, what would be your sort of favorite piece of hunting kit? If you could name one piece of gear that you've got, mm. that's your favorite piece. My favorite piece. I, we shoot Bowtech bows, and I, I have shoot both. Yeah, I mean, it's they're solid. Yeah, yeah, I've been very impressed with them. All right, here's a question for you: Does your wife hunt? No, she she will go. She, she has no desire to shoot anything. Uh, this is kind of going back to what you know. You're born with it. Um, she has zero problem with it and she likes to eat game and all that. Um, but she just doesn't have that draw to pull the trigger at all. Um, she will shoot pheasants. That's the extent of her, of her, of her hunting. And usually we go once a year, we go one day after the season, the lodge, all my clients leave the lodge. I'll take her out. If it's warm, if it's cold, she's out. If it's early, she's out. <laughs> so if it's warm and we can go in the middle of the day. Right. So it's more about spending physical. the day with you. Yeah. Probably. Hanging out. Yeah. And she's a really good shot with a shotgun. I'm talking for real good. Wow. Yeah. Really natural with it. And she shoots clay pigeons. She likes to shoot. Uh, and she has a bow. She has an Eva Shockey signature series Bowtech. And she shoots that. <laughs> and she shoots the bow really good too. For yeah. as little as she shoots, she she really Pretty drills good. them. Yeah. How often do you shoot your bow? Just at interest. It depends. Um I'm not as good as I used to be about practicing. You just, you know, you run out of time and don't, don't make time for it, I guess. Um, semi-regular. It depends what time of year it is. In July, like leading up to that August mule deer hunt, I start shooting as much as I can, four or five days a week. Um, and that's not like an extensive shooting session, but like go shoot 10 arrows or something like that. Um, and then if it's like season goes out, usually you're just shooting like before you go out to hunt in the evening morning hunts obviously you can't do that so you're shooting just in the evenings and then turkey season same thing we shoot in the evenings um so not a ton not as much as a lot of guys i know but yeah it's it's you know as long as you can just keep that repetition up okay, uh, it's all memory. about yeah muscle memory yep yeah i yep. miss it a lot i i've moved back to canada recently and i didn't bring my boat with me i just didn't have enough space but i and i'm living downtown yeah so where would you shoot anyway yeah, yeah i can't really shoot so mm -hmm. it's it's one of the things that i probably miss the most about being at home and having a bit of a space is you know even when i'm working at home i find that you know working for a couple of hours and then going out and just shooting awesome. 10 or 15 20 hours because yeah. you can't you can't think about anything else when yeah. you shoot, like it's impossible you yeah. can't really you'll see the results if you oh, are absolutely <laughs> like if your mind's thinking yeah. about that phone call you just had that wound yeah. you up you'll zing a 10 dollar hour off the top of the target <laughs> and it'll seriously end up in the neighbor's place so it's a it's a really good way to mm -hmm. find zero for me but i, I went home and uh must have been December just for a bit we did a bit of training with our equine crew and I managed to get home and went around the grandparents but I for a bit of a visit but did a bit of shooting but my my bow I hadn't shot it in like eight months uh -huh. and it's cranked it's cranked right up and yeah. boy it, the next day I felt it like really felt yeah. it like tricep shoulders tight, yeah. <laughs> tight, tight, oh tight. man you are getting soft oh that's sad <laughs> Oh, yeah. hopefully to get a bit more hunting done this season there you go um i know you spent a bit of time with uh the the heartland bow hunter guys is yep. that right yep 
and sort of do a bit of TV. Is that you mentioned you did some filming for the turkey stuff? Was that attached to those guys still? Or yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I, I don't go. I we just don't go in the field without a camera anymore. So okay. and that's been six or seven years running. I haven't. I've, I've hunted like two days without a camera in the last six or seven years. And you doing all your filming yourself? You no, no, you? we're always with somebody else. Yeah, we always we film with somebody else. Um, I have self-filmed a couple of doe hunts. That was when I was by myself a couple of those times. Um, yeah, so, yeah. And oh, I take that back, I guess. I do take my dad. Occasionally, I won't take a camera. I usually still take a camera with him just for fun. Yeah. Um, just to relive the hunt, you know, kind of do that thing. But other than that, it's super hunting with somebody it, 100% of the time. It adds a whole new level. Of- it's a whole new level of everything. But I'll tell you, we've been doing it for, I mean, I have been doing it for seven or eight years with them, and those guys have been doing it for, I think we're on year season eleven now. Right. So that Heartland Bowhunter stuff still running? Oh yeah, 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 yep, yep right on cool. channel. Yep, yep. And so we, you just kind of you figured it out, you know what I mean? And you have too, you know. It's it's it. It used to be cumbersome. You have to think about. Oh, I need to charge batteries. We need to drop footage tonight. We need to do this whole thing. It's literally second nature. It's just we just go with it, and we have a second camera stand. You know, whitetails. We're hunting out tree stands a lot of times. Yeah, there's a whole another tree stand that you have to set for a camera guy in every stand. Yeah, it's um, a lot more work. It's a ton more work, and you have to think about where is his angle going to be. How is he going to set up the tree arm? How you, there's trees that simply would be great to hunt out of, but you, they don't work to film out of, so we don't wow. hunt them. Yeah, it, it's definitely you're you're handicapping yourself for sure in the movement and the scent and the everything. Oh, it just doubles the amount of presence you have mm-hmm. when you're hunting, and then on top of that, it doubles the amount of movement when you're already bow hunting. It mm-hmm. just sort of throws the shackles on it every more, even more. So and it's then a it's add certain. elements into it too. Cold weather, that I mean, trying <laughs> to film with cold weather. I mean, yeah. your hands, it's just it's tough. Yeah. So, it, but it, we like it, you know. We, so, totally do, you, do you trade off? Do you do a lot of filming yourself, or are you doing most of the definitely boys doing it? definitely trade off i wouldn't call it a lot the other guys definitely film more than i do um and part of that is because of north dakota the outfitting season that cuts into my time so a lot of time that I would be filming um guiding so that, that cuts into it but um yeah filming quite a bit last couple of years more so than ever right. yeah. so for those guys i'm sure some of the guys listening know of the heart and bow hundred and stuff and have watched a lot of their footage i know it's been around for a long time so mm-hmm. invariably it does float around but mm-hmm. for those of them who don't what sort of run me through the ethos of that tv show what is it uh so basically started with cinema photography being the first part of the show and getting good quality footage um and then the hunts kind of has come secondary now we've evolved. Like I said, we've gotten better. And so um, as we've gotten older and more experienced, our honey is kind of caught up with the cinema photography. We were shooting three-year-olds here to start with, you know, and yeah. four-year-olds, kind of four or five-year-olds are kind of what we aim for as far as management purposes. And so, you know, if it was a good hunt on TV, we would kind of hunt and shoot those younger deer um, if the filming was good. And then now we've kind of evolved where both the hunting and the the filming is kind of caught up, but yes, very cinematic uh, driven yeah. um, in pictures and the whole, the whole thing. So to be perfectly honest with you, I haven't seen too many episodes since I got out of the filming side of it. Cause when we were, you know, Brand and Todd and I were filming the professional mm-hmm. stuff, it was the Heartland guys have been going for a while, but they were um, certainly, I don't want to say competition, but certainly in the same, Oh, for sure. Yeah. Same, um, category of the mm-hmm. type of footage that we we're doing yep and the type of hunting that we we're doing 
Um, so I've, I've always watched fondly a lot of this stuff that I can really appreciate some of the shots that those guys get. But um, yeah, I'm sure if you, anyone has a bit of a look around, you'll be able to find some of the footage sure. with yep. with Nate in it. Um, yep. What's your sort of best ever hunting footage you've got? You reckon? Mm. Myself filmed? Yeah, when it's all by myself. Hunting. Either or, where it all just sort of came together. I don't know my best. Um, so I hunted a lot with my buddy Skylar Worsig uh, this last September. We we actually hunted. Um, where did we hunt? We hunted North Dakota. I filmed him shoot a really nice deer at my place. Um, and then we went to Wyoming and let's see, he filmed me first harvest a deer and then I filmed him get another one. So we had a really good September. We had three deer in about two weeks. Wow. And really pretty, yeah, pretty killer footage. Um, so that was a good run. Um, my best hunt ever. One that didn't make TV was probably my favorite we hunted uh i went and hunted southern colorado for elk yeah this would have been five seasons ago i think four or five seasons ago and uh joel taylor who is who i hunt with the most and film hunting with um the most joel's pretty much um a full-time camera guy for hb uh, he does get to hunt a little bit but not very much he's mostly right. behind the camera and um and he gets paid to do so he's he's you know he's got the skills uh so i get to hunt with joel the most um Joel filmed me shoot a deer, I mean, an elk in Southern Colorado. That's pretty awesome hunt. But we, we, I, it was first day, literally like the first evening and right. we had zero footage to go with the hunt. So it was on carbon TV, which is fine. It's a great platform. We have yeah. a agreement with carbon TV for a, a couple of series um, behind the draws one for the fall. And uh, we also have a spring turkey hunting one that's only on carbon TV. So that doesn't air on the outdoor channel, but that was probably my favorite footage, right. that big bull elk. Yep. Yeah, they're pretty fun, those elk, I have uh, to say. I've, I love them. I've uh, never got to shoot one. I've got it for three or four mm-hmm. in northern BC, and it's a um, a relatively short season. And um, I, there was talk about them pushing it back a couple of weeks. I don't know if that ever happened, but the last time I hunted it would have been three years ago, and it was still – it was just as I was getting going. Yep. Like, And it was sort of like – You'd have two days before they figured out they were getting hunted again, where they were just sort of thinking about rutting, mm-hmm. and then the majority of the season they'd basically go dark because they weren't really rutting that hard, and they mm-hmm. figured out that everybody was after them. Too much pressure. Yeah, so they'd disappear, and then right if you got a cold snap, at, right at the end of the season they'd come alive, and they would, you know, at that point they get a little bit more aggressive and loud. And it's crazy that yeah. cold weather really brings it out too even if they're not ready if you get a cold night and you get out the next morning they're going nuts usually usually in september when was that season that's early september yeah see it's amazing the transition they make those those 10 days are really important in my at least in my experience uh the first 10 days of september typically you're not going to have a lot of rutting activity but then those last the next 10 usually something usually was the worst i remember remember one year we battled for the whole like two week season just battle 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 ended up getting a okay ball that at the end of the season, that we're also like, yeah, yeah, at least we got one kind yeah. of thing. You know, he was an old bull, but he just wasn't that impressive. Mm-hmm. And then two days, we had two days sort of downtime in camp, and we all rode out the next day to go moose hunting. And as we're riding down the horse trail, the like, <laughs> first thing in the morning, they were just screaming on either side of the rail. And the guy that was in front just had a little hoochie mama in his hand, and he was just squeaking it as we were riding <laughs> down the horse trail. And the bulls had just come charging to the brush oh, out into no the middle of the way. trail, just screaming, oh. eyes rolled back, <laughs> just steaming. And we'd just sort of ride past them, and they'd just watch. And, That's oh, cool. Yeah. Brutal. Yeah. But really cool to see. It so I, cool. I, there's so much 
um, potential there. Like it is. I like I was telling you the other day about. Um, well, I guess you'd call it an elk hunt in New Zealand. The what's left of the uh-huh. Roosevelt bloodlines in New Zealand, and the Fjord and Wapiti Foundation are doing a fantastic job at the moment, sort of managing that area and trying to bring back those bigger wapiti. Mm-hmm. And I haven't hunted them down there during the bugle. My business partner has, and Curran has, and he's got some great footage of them bugling and that kind of thing. And it's they're funny they don't bugle quite as some of them do but most of them don't bugle quite as pure as the ones do over here they sort of because they've got an undertone of red blood in them they sort of have a identity crisis sort of halfway through (laughs) they sort of squeal and then drop their (laughs) half the time and then you'll get a nice crisp crisp bugle it's it's quite entertaining they're very unique yeah um so that's a hunt that on the bucket list for me i really need to get back to new zealand stay in shape so i can handle it and do it because it's a it's a proper bit of country. And uh, non-residents can hunt there too. Yeah. Non-residents can hunt there too. Interesting. Yeah. 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 So I, I've got a funny <laughs> feeling and, and those who have been listening to this for a while, I think, you know, I think a lot more North Americans are going to figure that out. The, the Australians certainly have and the Europeans certainly have. Um, the outfitting industry in New Zealand has always traditionally been a state stuff. So... Mm-hmm. Most of the big deer that you would have seen come out of New Zealand mm-hmm. over the years, you would have said, wow, that's an amazing red stag, but they're mostly a state. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. you know, some people realize that, some people don't. Some people don't, yeah. But it's, it's kind of a, that's the facade of New mm-hmm. Zealand hunting. So people just assume that it's all high fence. I seriously thought that's how it was. Yeah. yeah. The reality is we have some of the best free range hunting available in the world, period. And I mean that. It's a really, mm-hmm. it's a utopia for hunting. Mm-hmm. Most of us don't realize how lucky we really are in terms of what we have but the way that our game animals are managed or controlled as pests in New Zealand means that essentially yeah you can as long as particularly because you're a bow hunter mm-hmm. I mean you don't need a firearms license to have a bow in New Zealand so you can go on the Department of Conservation website get a permit which is free mm-hmm. and hunt anywhere you want in New Zealand wow. apart from right now they're the Wapiti Blocks is the only place that's really managed. And there's a few tar and red deer hunting blocks on the west coast and up through, mainly in the South Island, which are balloted over the breeding season. But you can enter those ballots. There's no reason why you can't. And they're, you know, they're cheap. But it's probably catching. It sounds like it's catching on. And it probably starts small and it'll probably, you know, kind of grow. I, I, I think um, the States had to be that way at some point. I don't know when that was. I don't know what time frame that would have been. Um, well, you know, well, it was pre the North American game management stuff. So yeah, it was yeah, yeah. Sort of Roosevelt's days when they put the brakes on, yeah, harvesting stuff for. You know, I mean, the, the difference well, harvesting stuff for profit. So mm-hmm. you know, you, you knock your buffalo around hard enough that they they're pretty much wiped off the face of the earth, and yep. the elk and the whitetail and everything else was heading in that direction rapidly until you know, it was, you know Theodore Roosevelt and his buddies basically the founders of the Boone and Crockett Club mm-hmm. that put the brakes on and founded what is wildlife management now in North America, mm-hmm. which is one of the best conservation success stories, period. No like, question. There's more yeah. white-tailed deer now than there were, you know, there ever has been. I mean, a lot of that has got to do with farming and the amount of habitat for them, et cetera, et cetera. But the reality yeah. is that the money that is generated through you guys buying tags and hunting season and even your hunting gear. Mm-hmm. You know, something that a lot of people don't realize is 
I believe it was, it was a um, an optional tax that hunters and outdoorsmen decided to impose on themselves. It's like eleven percent of all ammunition, firearms, hunting gear, license tags goes directly back into managing those areas and animals, which is a you know it's it's over a billion dollars a year, I believe. Missouri has gone further than that. This has been in place for quite some time. I would say back to the eighties. I don't know when it went in place, but I'm thinking that's when it went. Um, we have a, I don't remember the number. It's like 0.01% sales tax on all sales tax items in the state of Missouri. Wow. Go to conservation. It's a humongous amount of money. And as a result, our conservation department is humongous. We have tons of public land, um, tons of public funded waterfowl hunting areas, fishing areas. There's just a lot of money that gets circulated through conservation. And so Missouri really is kind of ahead of everybody in that. Wow, that's really, really everyone, cool. But a, a lot of people in that aspect. Yeah. 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 No, we certainly can. I mean, New Zealand is a, a very unique place because we don't have any natural predators and everything mm-hmm. we have is introduced. And at, you know, unmanaged and at high levels, they are detrimental to the environment. There's sure. no two ways about it. And sure. history has to- taught us that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think as hunters, we need to sort of stand up and, and look more closely at what, what we can do to manage those areas more effectively in partnership with all parties, our Department of Conservation, Forest and Bird. You know, we spend a lot of time at the moment fighting with each other Mm -hmm. and the government at this point just dumps 1080 to kill rats, which they've got no other viable economical options at the moment. And it goes down like a cold cup of sick to everybody that enjoys the outdoors in New Zealand. But... Um, I think as hunters in particular, we need to sort of put our hands up and come up with some better ways to work together and manage it. Like the Fjord and Wapiti Foundation, there's a lot to be said for that group and the yeah. guys who started that. I mean, I remember when they started it back in the day, people, you know, New Zealand hunters are no different to hunters all around the world. We've got a little bit of an entitlement issue. Mm-hmm. So if somebody says to you, like the concept of one of them <laughs> saying to you, you can't go hunt yeah. there during breeding season in the raw, yep. not that they probably ever would have anyway, right. but it's the concept that they are not allowed to go in there. They mm-hmm. Suddenly they've had some of their, you know, rights taken Freedom away from them and they yeah. sort of throw yeah. their toys. So it's taken, you know, a number of years for people to really start to see the benefit that the, is starting to come out now to accept it. So it's slowly happening, mm-hmm. but at the same time, we as hunters often don't do ourselves any favours in the way that we interact with the general public and, yeah. And Department of Conservation in New Zealand specifically, we've got a lot. We could learn a lot from North America, particularly the the game management model. And it doesn't take long to go either way. I, I, my dad and people of his age have, can tell you stories in the '80s, which is not that long ago, uh, where they if they saw a deer, it was a good, it was a success. Like you went hunting and saw a deer, you're like, oh my gosh, I saw a deer. Uh, and it was buck only. They didn't allow doe harvest to try to you know get the numbers back up. And so now you you go out and it's there's deer everywhere. You know I don't even know what the population is in, in Missouri alone, but it's huge, just yeah. bigger than ever. Um, and they're not out of balance. Some places there are. They're still out of balance. You know, there's too many does, but um, as a whole, the, the herd's pretty healthy. Yeah, uh, just pretty incredible what they could have support. And that's not that long ago. Yeah. And that's just conservation measurement, really. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yep. So we'll we'll knock it on the head because. I'm sure that uh, everybody's starting to wonder where the hell we are, but yeah, <laughs> <laughs> going to snuck away. Yeah. Um, but if you could sum it up or try to sum it up, and I know this is a, a big mouthful, but could you sum up why you hunt? Mm. 
I don't know. I can't explain that. Um, uh, you just get whatever you get from it. I don't, you know what, and I can tell just, we haven't even hunted together. We fished a decent amount now, um, but you can tell that you get it and you know, whenever you meet somebody that's of your level or of your interest level, I guess you should say, um, just something that draws you to it. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. That's why I kind of go back to being, you're born with it. You know, mm-hmm. it's just something inside of you that you got to get outside. You got to go do that. Um, and obviously we're not, I'm not a bloodthirsty killer. I like to be successful on a, on a hunt and I get mad at myself when I'm not successful, but I don't not enjoy the hunts that I'm not successful because I've chosen to be a bow hunter, you know? So obviously if I wanted to just go out and shoot animals, I would get a, a yeah. rifle and go out and shoot animals. Not that rifle hunting is easy, but it's easier, you know? So, uh, it's something about that experience and being out there and being outside and I don't know, I don't know what it is, but it's definitely a draw. Yeah, I'd agree with that. It's a good answer because it's not a it's not an easy thing to answer. No. We, we do ask everybody, and it's yeah, it's a deliberately confusing question because mm-hmm. there's not going to be anyone that comes on here and goes, oh yeah, because this or mm-hmm. you know I like shooting stuff or yeah. whatever. I mean, it, it's it's a very complicated. It's the weirdest thing. thing yeah. It's the weirdest thing until you've tried it. It's you know it's it's really hard to explain. Yeah, uh, my wife Lauren, I'll put this in perspective too. Every time I get up at 3 a.m., 4 a.m., whatever the time is to get up and it's 10 degrees outside, she is floored that I would have the want to get up out of a warm bed, out of a warm house and go climb into a cold tree stand when it's, you know, five in the morning, whatever the time is. And and what would you want to go do that for? Yeah. So and just doesn't get it. She just doesn't understand it. She's glad that I do that. But she's happy for me that I like to do that. Yeah. But she doesn't understand the draw. So, and I don't either. I don't know what it is. I don't have an answer for you there. No, so it's, it's very much yeah. in our nature. And I mean, I, I get the same. It, it's hard to get out of bed sometimes to go sure. and do mow yeah. the lawns. Right? Yeah, yeah. You, you don't want to mow the I lawns. Don't want to mow the grass. You know, so <laughs> yeah. you know that's that's hard. But I mean, if I'm going hunting or if I'm going fishing, I will wake up before my alarm and I'll be sitting there tapping, tapping and 10 days. I'm I'm the most organized I ever am when I'm fishing or hunting. Like my clothes are stacked up next to me, all my gear packed, you know, sometimes a week in advance, you know, and I'll be pouring over maps and Google earth and, you know, so all of this stuff, you know, it it really is in your nature. It is. It is. Yeah. All right, man, we'll call it quits there. I really appreciate you taking the time. And uh, as we get, better at this format we'll have to get you on again and have a bit of a catch-up but seriously want to get into some of those mountain mule deer come on with it particularly when it's not 20 below celsius yeah no it's great <laughs> it's so great yeah i mean the low will be like in the 30s and the highs in yeah. the 80s it's, yeah. it's great living but it is you do earn it that's for sure yeah no doubt oh, um, might be a good motivation to lose a bit a few of the soft bits around the there middle there you go <laughs> you can handle it yeah yeah it's all in the mind Thank you for listening to the Educated Hunter podcast. If you would like to receive a short email from us once a fortnight that contains everything that we've found interesting, educational, entertaining or inspiring within the hunting world, as well as updates on relevant hunting issues, our on-the-ground initiatives and any upcoming events, please visit theeducatedhunter.com forward slash join. You can also check us out on Instagram at theeducatedhunter.com Or finally, join the conversation in the Educated Hunter Facebook group. The links for all this can be found below in the show notes. As always, thanks for listening and catch you on the clearing.